0: For the many uh, people who are listening to us this morning, they may be surprised that up in the mountains here, there are a great many camps. And that on Sunday morning, especially at Camp Merrimack here at Black Mountain, uh, we have a Sunday morning chapel service. And I'm always blessed by hearing you sing. You know, in the last few years, I've been disturbed by certain things that have taken place in our country. Certain things that have taken place because there were people who do not believe in God and who do not believe in Jesus Christ. And because of that, they do not want anything taught about God in public schools. They do not even want his name mentioned on our coins. They do not even want the courts opened with prayer. And uh, they have ruled out, of course, Bible reading and prayer in the public schools. In fact, a little poem expressed it this way, and I think you will catch the point very quickly. Now I sit me down in school, where praying is against the rule. For this great nation under God finds public mention of him odd. Any prayer the class recites violates the Bill of Rights. Any time my head I bow becomes a federal matter now. Teach us of star of pole or equator but make no mention of their creator. Tell of experts in Denmark or Sweden but not a word of what happened in Eden. The law is specific. The law is precise. Praying aloud is no longer nice. Praying aloud in a public hall upsets believers of nothing at all. In silence alone can we meditate And if God should get the credit, that's just great. This rule, however, has a gimmick in it. You've got to be finished in less than a minute. So all I ask is a minute of quiet. If I feel like praying, then maybe I'll try it. If not, oh Lord, this plea I make, if I die in school, my soul please take. (laughs) Now this is interesting, isn't it? because we live in the year in which we are starting the bicentenary, the uh, celebration of the second hundredth year of the United States of America. America was founded by people who came here not really looking for gold but who came looking for a place in which they could worship God. In fact in 1776 on July 4th when the Liberty Bell was rung And you remember, they rang it so loud that the Liberty Bell cracked under the strain of it. But carved on the Liberty Bell, there was was a quotation from Holy Scripture. And in the United States at that time, do you know that there were only about eight denominations as we know them? And uh, there was a strong belief in God. The people in the Continental Congress who were trying to develop the Constitution under which we were later to be guided, Felt the need to pray to God lest they be broken up into 13 disunited nations. And so they prayed to God. And the other night I was up in Rochester, Minnesota. It was a clear uh, sky. And I went with one of the greatest scientists in the whole world, a great doctor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic. He is a true believer in Jesus Christ. He happens to believe in the God who created the heavens and the earth, and he accepts the Genesis account of creation that we read in the Bible. And he walked with his wife and with my son out into the yard of their home, and we looked up into the sky at the right time because he had the instruments to time it, and we saw that Soyuz spacecraft as it came across that part of the United States. We looked up and saw it. And then we begin to think about the marvels of God, about how readings are taken from looking at stars. But where did those stars come from? God put those stars in place, and yet we learn about God and we learn about the universe in which we live, more specifically when we look not just at nature alone, but we look in the Bible, which is the history of God's dealings with man. You see, the Bible is not a story of how man has searched after God, but rather the Bible is a story of how God has searched after man. If you remember in the very beginning, when God had created all things and it was a veritable paradise, when there was no sin and no war and no hatred and no evil, and things were all just wonderful, Just at that time, man, through the influence of the evil one who spoke to the woman and who gave an idea to the man, disobeyed God. And as a result of that disobedience, suffering and sin and death have entered into our world. And as a result of that, we are faced with terrible wars. We are faced with mistrust of each other. We see uh, locks on the doors of many buildings, and we are all... Faced by problems that are created through sin well what God came to do was to show through his special people that he had created to give a law which is just and reasonable by which we might live and yet when they would not live up to that law he sent prophets to explain it more fully when they would not live up to what the prophets explained he had given to them even Psalms to sing songs such as you were singing this morning, because that's what the book of Psalms is. It's a book of songs, songs that were sung in praise to God. And then last and best of all, God gave us the greatest gift that he could give. He gave us the gift of himself in human flesh. For God came down on Christmas Day, not into a great big palace, not flanked by marvelous soldiers or great statesmen but born in a little squalid village called Bethlehem. There the first people to hear about it were not some famous people but some shepherds, the poorest class of people out on a hillside. They heard angels who had come to announce the fact that the greatest thing that ever happened in all of the history of this world had taken place. Now I'm sure That if those shepherds had gone into the city of Bethlehem as they did. And had gone up to the inn where you remember Mary and Joseph were refused a place to stay. And they had to sleep in the stable because it was crowded. And there the baby Jesus was born. And if the shepherds had said to the crowd, you know we were out on the hillside. And there was a great host of strange angels that came. And they sang in the most marvelous way. And they told us that the promise of God has at last come and his own son had been born into the world and that he was right here in Bethlehem. And so we came here uh, to worship him. I'm sure that a lot of sophisticated people who were snoring soundly in their beds in the inn would have laughed themselves silly at these country bumpkins who came telling the story of what they had heard out on the hillside. But nonetheless, No story has ever been so true as that story, because Jesus was born. He was born the Son of God. He was born uniquely by the power of the Spirit of God. He was once a little boy. He knew what it was like to play. He knew what it was like to see his father work in a carpenter shop, his earthly father. He knew what it was like to see people in the village who died or who uh, experienced sorrow. And then one day when he got to be 30 years of age, it was time for him to begin a ministry that has changed the whole course of creation. For this one, Jesus, went where a great prophet who had been proclaiming the way of God's son who was to come into the world and that prophet's name was John the Baptist. Jesus went to John and asked John to baptize him in the River Jordan. And at that very time, when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, there was a tremendous voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And then for the next 36 months, Jesus began to teach and to preach. He must have been a marvelous teacher. I've often thought that Jesus didn't look like some of the pictures that we saw in the little Sunday school buildings where we attended Sunday school. No, I think Jesus must have been a very powerfully built athlete type. I think that because he used to preach to sometimes as many as 5,000 men up on a hillside. Now it would take a person with a tremendous set of lungs and a tremendous voice to make himself heard to 5,000 people up on a hillside, wouldn't it? Jesus was that way. He was powerful. And yet with all of his great powerful physique and all of the tremendous uh, power that was in him, he showed an incredible love and a care for every single person who came near him. One day there were a group of little children who came running up to where Jesus was. And Jesus' disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the rest of them, you know, who followed Jesus, they drove the children away. They said to the children, Go away and don't bother the Master. And Jesus turned and he rebuked his disciples. It's one of the few times that we see Jesus when he's angry. But Jesus rebuked them sternly. He said, Stop that. I want to see these children. And I used to think that it must have been wonderful To see the little boys and girls climb up on Jesus' lap. And some of them take their hands and run their fingers through his hair. And some of them feel his beard. And some of them look in his eyes. And some of them ask him questions. And he must have told them stories. And they laughed. And they listened. And they learned about God. And they learned about love. And they never forgot that story. That's one reason we read about it in the Gospels where Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. That's one of the reasons I always like to come to a place like Camp Merrimack. That's one of the reasons I believe in Sunday school. That's one of the reasons I like to go to speak with children, because I find that children are greatly interested in the person of Jesus. To me, it's terrible that on television, which is such a tremendous medium, and where we can gain so much entertainment that someone has not taken the trouble to tell us more about the life of Jesus, but I suppose this would offend the atheists, or the life of Paul, or the life of the Old Testament prophets, uh, or someone could tell us about the great heroes of the faith. We could see these stories, and they could build back into America a character which we seem to have lost, and an honesty and an integrity which comes When one really believes in God. You know there are ten commandments. The first four of those commandments deal with man's relationship to God. They say uh, to us that thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. That we are to worship God alone. We are not to take his name in vain. We are to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. They are commandments that are given that have to do with our relationship to God. Then at the fifth commandment we read honor thy father and thy mother because our fathers and our mothers when they are true fathers and true mothers under God and reckon their children to be precious gifts from God then we look to them as those who care about us and who love us and they do care about us and do love us and they should be teaching us the things that are right. They are really God's representatives. I'll never forget when our first son was born and I went to the hospital and they made me put on one of those silly gowns like the doctors wear in surgery and they put a cap over my head and a mask over my face and they brought out a little tiny boy and I held him in my hand and I looked at his little teeny fingers and I thought this is mine, (laughs) a little man. He's got all the things I've got he's going to grow up and God is holding me responsible for him now if I don't see to it that he's fed and clothed if I don't see to it that he's taught he'll die I can't just leave him alone I've got to take care of him he belongs to me and so his mother and I assumed our responsibility for him and for our other children and have prayed to God to help us to guide them in the right way so children who honor their father and their mother, and I hope you'll write your mother and dad a letter today and tell them how much you love them and that you went to chapel this morning and that you want them to know that you love them and care for them. And then Jesus go, gave, uh, God gave six other commandments. They had to do with man's relationship to man. And the first of those other commandments says, Thou shalt not kill. Now this commandment seems strange to us today because... We live in a world where there is war. Even the great um, spaceships that we have seen go up, we tremble in fear about them because we know that these spaceships may sometimes take great bombs into the uh, space and bring them down on cities and many people may be destroyed. And we wonder what's happened, what's gone wrong with man to make him to be this way so that He wants to kill each other rather than to show the love of God. When I think about this, I often think of a poem that I read many years ago. It was called A Pilot Bails Out, and it was written by Don Blanding, and it says this. What did you learn, soldier? What did you learn at war? He said, I learned that we must learn sometime what was not learned before that victories won on battlefields are victories won in vain, unless in peace we kill the germs that breed new wars again. Now what breeds new wars? Wars are bred by a thing called sin. That's why people hate each other. That's why the sixth commandment was violated and murder was committed. And you remember that in that great Garden of Eden, When Cain had slain his brother Abel, and God called out in the evening and called out for Cain and said, Where is your brother? He was afraid. He had taken his brother's life and hidden him. But God knew all about that. Now man has the seeds of evil in him. But God can give us a new birth. And that's the wonderful thing. Jesus told about this once when he spoke with a man by the name of Nicodemus who was quite a religious teacher. And this man had seen Jesus teach and he saw a quality in the life of Jesus that made him know that he must truly be the Messiah that those shepherds had told about and that he had heard about. And he went to Jesus and asked him how he could have eternal life. And Jesus said, well, you were born with one old nature that is full of hate and sin. Now you need a new nature, and that new nature is one that comes through repenting. Repenting means not just being sorry for sin, but asking God to change our way of looking at things, to look at things from Jesus' standpoint, to think what would Jesus do? How will the Holy Spirit work in us to accomplish what Jesus Christ would have us do? And is anyone so far away from God that God does not care? No. He cares about the people who were in the Soyuz spacecraft. He cares about the man that I saw washing an elephant with a rock over in a river in India. He cares about black people that I saw in Africa. He cares about lepers that I saw in a leprosarium in Thailand. He cares about people that I saw on the streets of Calcutta and Bombay in India. He cares about the people that I saw on Chinatown in New York City. He cares about the people that I've seen on Skid Row in Chicago. He cares about the little girls and the young women who are in Camp Merrimack and who are up here. And maybe this is just going to be the time where God speaks something special to them. I want to close by telling you a very familiar story from the life of Jesus. I'll read it from the scriptures. It's taken from the 19th chapter of Luke. You know, Luke was a doctor. But he was a good doctor, like the doctor I saw up at Mayo's last week, not only interested in healing a man's body, but also in seeing that his soul was right too and that everything was peaceful inside. And so Luke tells us many uh, stories of how Jesus touched people's lives, sometimes very bad people, and caused them to be very good people. And so this is one of those stories, and it's short, and I'll close with it. Jesus, by the way, is on his way to the cross now. Entering Jericho, Jesus made his way through the city. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the superintendent of taxes, and he was very rich. He was eager to see what Jesus looked like, but being a little man, he could not see him for the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed the sycamore tree in order to see him, for Jesus was to come that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, be quick and come down. I must come and stay with you today. So Zacchaeus Zacchaeus climbed down as fast as he could, and he welcomed Jesus gladly. At this, there was a general murmur of disapproval. He is gone, they said, to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood there. And he said to the Lord Jesus, Here and now, sir, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone, I am ready to repay him four times over. Jesus said to him, Salvation has come to this house today, for this man too is a son of Abraham, and the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what is lost. Now we are lost when we're not where we should be. And Zacchaeus was not where he should be in his relationship to God. Zacchaeus had thought that if he could just have all the money that he wanted, that that money would make him happy. But the money really hadn't made him happy at all. How many of us know people who have very big homes and very fine cars and very good clothes, and yet they almost hate each other? They say unkind and cruel and ugly things to each other in their home. They spend their lives glued today with alcohol, drinking into a stupor to take away their temper or the tensions that exist within them. I think that many people like that need to read the story of Zacchaeus and need to know about him. Now, I have put down here four things that I want to tell you about Zacchaeus that he needed. First of all, He needed to know that someone loved him. Do you ever feel real small and sometimes that no one really loves you? Well, you don't need to feel that way because Jesus loves you. He cares about you. God loves you. That's why he sent Jesus. And the reason those feelings come in your heart is that the Holy Spirit has sent those feelings to come there. Zacchaeus wanted to be loved, not just because he had a rich house, not just because he was an important public figure, but because he needed to be loved inside. He knew that he was despised and hated by so many people, but Zacchaeus knew that Jesus was coming that way. And Zacchaeus, who had been a crook and a very famous crook, knew that Jesus had also in the group of his own disciples a man who had been the same kind of person as Zacchaeus. His name was Matthew. And one day Matthew had been sitting in his tax office collecting taxes and Jesus came by and said, Matthew, come and follow me. And Matthew got up and all he took with him was just his pen so that he could write down the words that Jesus said. And Matthew's life changed. And since Zacchaeus was a very famous tax collector, I think that Matthew and Zacchaeus must have known each other. And I think that maybe one day, Matthew sat down and he wrote, sat down and he wrote uh, Zacchaeus a letter. And he said, Zacchaeus, I want you to know that you think your life can never be changed. And you're ready to give up. That's the way I felt. But listen, Zacchaeus, I heard this wonderful teacher I believe that he is the Messiah that God promised. And when I heard him speak, I knew that I would never hear another voice like that again in all this world. And when I looked in his eyes, I knew that God cared about me. And do you know what, Zacchaeus? He's changed my whole life. I've given up the old and evil things that I did, and now I've become a happy new person in him. And I'm his follower And Zacchaeus, by the way, if he ever comes to Jericho, whatever you do, you be sure that you go and listen to him speak. Well, when Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming to Jericho, the great crowds of people lined the streets because by this time Jesus was famous. Blind people had been made able to see. Lame people had been made able to walk. People with filthy leprosy and horrible sores had had their skin all made clean again. Dead people had been brought back to life. And so all of the crowds were curious to see just who Jesus was, and so was Zacchaeus. And he tried to see. But a lot of you are little short people. I can see some of you trying to look over other people's heads. It's a little hard times. Well, Zacchaeus couldn't see over the heads of the people. And, you know, I think some of the people realized that Zacchaeus had sometimes been hard on them in their tax office. And so when Zacchaeus stood in one place, they sort of stood in front of him. And then when he walked over there, they kind of stepped in front of him there. And Zacchaeus, though, wasn't to be outdone. Zacchaeus went and he climbed up into a tree. He climbed up in a tree. He forgot about his pride. You see, he had expensive clothes. He was a big, rich man. He was a dignified public official. But all of that didn't matter. He wanted more than anything else in all the world to see Jesus. Now, when you want to see Jesus so much that you don't care anymore about your pride, when you want to see Jesus so much that you're willing to get out on your knees and pray to him, when you want to see Jesus so much that you're willing to read the scriptures and read about his life and read it and read it until you understand it, When you want to see Jesus so much that you don't care if other people will tease you because you start trying to do things right that will please Jesus. When you forget about your pride, then then you may go up in a tree, but you'll come down to go home with Jesus. And that's what happened that day. Uh, Jesus came by and looked up in the tree and Zacchaeus' eyes and Jesus' eyes saw each other. And Zacchaeus said to himself, as he heard Jesus call out his name, Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus thought, he knows me. How in the world could he know me? You heard about the little girl, didn't you, who was praying the Lord's Prayer, and she didn't have it down quite right. And so she said, our Father who art in heaven, how did you know my name? (laughs) Well, he does know our name. And uh, so Zacchaeus name was known by Jesus and Jesus called his name and said Zacchaeus come down because today I'm going to your house now this made Zacchaeus know that someone loved him and cared for him and that Jesus didn't care that all these people were going to be murmuring and complaining about it but Jesus went into the house with Zacchaeus now when I get to heaven I want to look up Zacchaeus and talk to him. You see, I've known a lot of politicians. And I know some of them, and they haven't done some very good things. And yet this was a politician by the name of Zacchaeus whose life got changed. And I've often wondered what Jesus said to Zacchaeus inside the house. We're not told, but we're told the results of what took place. We're told that when the conversation had finished, and Jesus and Zacchaeus came out of the house, that Zacchaeus stood and announced to all of the crowd of the people that were out there, he said, half of all of the things that I have I'm giving away to the poor. If I've taken anything from any man falsely, if I've cheated him, I'm going to give him back four times what I took from him wrongly. Now, if he gave half of it away, and if he gave back four times what he cheated, I don't think Zacchaeus had much left. But you know, I don't think Zacchaeus cared. Because he had something better left. Something better. He had left something that was really wonderful. He had his faith now in Jesus Christ. He knew that he loved him. And the great line in that verse is this. Today is salvation. That means to be saved in the right relationship to God. Today is salvation come to this house. Now why did that happen? It happened... Because Jesus loved Zacchaeus and Jesus was willing to speak to him as he has spoke to you today and Zacchaeus responded and as a result of that response to uh, Jesus, Zacchaeus became a brand new creation in him. Someone, when I was coming over here this morning and who knew about it, wanted me to end by telling you a story. How did Jesus take away our sins? He took away our sins on the cross where he died. And one of the most beautiful stories I know about someone who died for another, and it happens to be a true story, and it came from England. And last year when I'd been here to Camp Merrimack, I left to go overseas to England, and I thought about this when I went into Westminster Abbey, and I looked at a little corner uh, where there was a little tablet commemorating a man by the name of Oliver Cromwell who had been Lord Protector of England. When, uh, when the, parlo- when the uh, government, which now reigns in England, was brought into its existence. Well, Oliver Cromwell was a great general, and he was also a great Christian, a very strict and very severe man, but he was very great. And Oliver Cromwell reigned. He had very strict rules about his soldiers. And he had a soldier whose name was Basil Underwood. And Basil Underwood did the thing which soldiers must never do, He fell asleep one time when he was on sentry duty, when he should have been guarding and alert. There was a strict rule that if a soldier fell asleep while he was on duty as a guard, that he was to be put to death. And so the sentence was passed out. The sentence was passed out that Basil Underwood would die, and the judge had decreed it. And he had said that Basil Underwood would die at the ringing of the curfew bell. Now, you have a bell that means lights out here. Uh, in, in England, there used to be a curfew. It really means to cover the light. That's what curfew means. Uh, and there was a ringing of a curfew bell in the village church. And this was usually done at sunset. Just when the sun was setting, the curfew bell would ring. And in this particular town, the judge had announced that at the ringing of the curfew bell, Basil Underwood would be hanged. There was a scaffold that had been erected and a crowd of curious onlookers had gathered around the scaffold. But there was a young girl who loved Basil Underwood more than she loved her own life. Basil Underwood was her sweetheart and she loved him dearly and she wanted to save him. She pleaded with the judge and the judge said there can be no mercy and no exception to the law. At the ringing of the curfew bell, Basil Underwood would die. This girl went to the sexton of the old church, and she shouted to him. He was deaf. She said to him, Please don't ring the curfew bell. He shook his head that for 50 years he had rung the curfew bell every night, and that that night would be no exception that at sunset the curfew bell would ring. And this poor girl did not know what to do. Her heart was worried, and she was terribly afraid. But do you know what she did? She decided that she could do something, and this was it. She went she went to the church, just at the time the sun was about to set, and she climbed up the steep old ladder that was overgrown with moss and was slimy, and she went way, way up into the top of this ancient bell tower and she looked down to the great dark pit below. She realized that she could fall to her death, but the old sexton, the man who rang the bell of the church, prompt to the moment, had showed up. He was way down below, and he came in and caught hold of the bell rope. And when he pulled the bell rope, and the big tongue in the bell began to swing, this girl, leaped out into the darkness and caught hold of the tongue of the bell with both of her hands. Back and forth and back and forth the tongue of the bell swung. Back and forth and back and forth. And the old sexton who had been pulling with all the weight of his body never noticed that the bell didn't ring. He let go of it. He trudged his way on home. The girl managed to jump back onto the ledge. She climbed down that filthy, slimy ladder. She made her way down the street as fast as she could. Oliver Cromwell, the big general with all of his lieutenants and captains and officers, had just arrived in the city at the scaffold, and they were standing there awaiting the execution and wondering why the bell didn't ring. And this girl came, and she fell down at the feet, Of Oliver Cromwell, the Lord Protector, the highest person in all of England. And at her feet, she told her story. She showed her hands all bruised and torn. Her face was haggard and pale. But in her eyes, there shone hope. Cromwell, who was famous for being a stern old man, Cromwell's heart was touched and his heart was touched with pity and his eyes were lit a misty light and tears came in old Cromwell's eyes and he said, Go, your lover lives, cried Cromwell. Curfew will not ring tonight. Well, 2,000 years ago at a place called Golgotha A young man named Jesus climbed up a hill and curfew rang for him. He died on a cross. He died on a cross so that you could become saved and go and live with God in heaven forever. And not only go to be in heaven, but have Jesus as your constant companion in life and have all your sins taken away and forgiven And to know the joy of that forgiveness. And to know the joy of his fellowship. And the great peace that he can bring to your heart. You are the only one who can make that decision. There is a verse that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And if you will open the door of your heart right now and ask Jesus to come in, He'll come into your heart. Let us bow in prayer. O oh God, our Father, I thank you for these precious young people, these youngsters whose hearts are full, so full of so many things and whose lives are outstretched before them and who could, by your grace, be something good and beautiful for this whole world who could be like another Joan of Arc, who could be like another Florence Nightingale, who could be like another Gladys Aylward, who could be a great and a good person to show the love of Jesus, who could be like the one who started Camp Merrimack, the others who have started similar camps and places where people might come and come close to thee. And God, we pray that you will bless not only this camp, But those who direct it, each counselor, each director, bless the parents, all of the parents of the children and young people who are here and be with them. And Father God, in this great nation of ours, grant that in this 200th birthday celebration, we might not forget the God who gave us birth, but that we may turn back to him for a new birth of freedom. Freedom through the Lordship of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.